Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. I recently spoke to award-winning author Ed Weech Danticat. Ed Weech is a special friend of Read More. She was our first guest, and this marks her third appearance on the show. Ed Weech and I chatted by phone due to the coronavirus pandemic. Ed Weech, this year really started off great for you. You became the first two-time winner of the Story Prize, which you won back in February for your short story collection, Everything Inside. You also won the inaugural Story Prize for the Dew Breaker back in 2005, and you were inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Letters this year. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It actually feels strange to have had all these wonderful things happen in this particular year. Um, you know, which is the the year of the pandemic. So it's it's really odd. I think everyone who has won any award this year has pointed that out. But it's it's a it's a really strange feeling. Definitely. I mean, that, that's why we're not sitting in front of each other right now. That's why we have to be on the phone. How has the pandemic and having to be in quarantine affected you and your family? Well, you know, I have to say we're very or extremely lucky because, first of all, we live in South Florida in this wonderful weather. And um, so we are inside, but we also can go in our backyard. I keep thinking back to, you know, to my childhood, for example, of, you know, if this were happening where we lived in the two-bedroom apartment with me and my brothers and my parents and my aunt and her kids, how that this would be, you know, and I think there's so many people in, in those circumstances who really, in multi-generational household, even though ours is one, but, you know, we have some space um, to negotiate with. So it's, you know, it's it's been certainly life-altering for everybody, but um, I think there's so many people who have been uh, so negatively affected that I really cannot complain. Um, you know. Well, has it changed how you work at all? Well, you know, both my daughters are home, and thankfully they're pretty independent in, in their working styles and their uh, my youngest is in school a lot of the day. I mean, with an actual teacher in front of her, um, she's in uh, elementary school, and my oldest is in high school, and she works a little more independently. The teachers send work, and they have face-to-face hours, but but they're pretty much doing that on on their own. Um, but I think all uh, parents now, you know, can fully appreciate the the wonder. <laughs> of teachers, you know, and the great service that they provide. I have two brothers in New York who are teachers and um and it's pretty I mean it's it's a lot of work but it's also requires now a little more commitment, especially for teachers who work with um otherwise able students and and who really have to be in touch and try to make sure they show up and um so I you know I've work with a lot more of you know of a presence around me i'm I'm used to working in the middle of the day alone in the house, but now there are a lot of us working working in the house, so that's different and I still find myself 
sometimes staying up to work at night just to have a little bit of that solitude that I that the work sometimes you know requires um but again feeling very very lucky you know yes definitely i think uh if you're in a situation where you can be somewhat comfortable through this uh mm-hmm. you definitely feel very blessed right now uh, yes. because we know that's not the case for everyone definitely well, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about your short story collection, Everything Inside. Most of the stories in this collection take place here in Miami, but all of your characters, like you, have ties to Haiti. When you write these days, is Miami the area that first comes to mind in terms of a setting, or will that always be Haiti for you? I think Haiti will always have um, a place or presence in my work because it's um, the country itself, the people of Haiti, it, they're a part of my you know, of my being or weaved into who I am. And, and these are the, the type of characters that fascinate me most, you know, that I'm uh, most interested in, in, in exploring. And so I think, I think there will always be that presence, but um, certainly are living different experiences as I get older in my life. Um, and there might possibly be some other things that, um, that occur to me to write about. But I think um, in the background will always be, first of all, you know, Haiti and Haitian Americans and, and, and that whole experience um, of, of being Haitian in the United States. One of the things many of your characters struggle with is what do I owe my home country? Should I go back and use my talents to help out or should I stay in the U.S. and maybe help in other ways? What is it that fascinates you as a writer about the idea of how best to give back? Well, I think it's a question that all exiles and um, immigrants, especially in the current moment, you know, uh, think about. I mean, for I can only speak to the Haitian or Haitian American experience, which I've observed most closely. And um, we're always thinking about ways to give back because we have always left, you know, family members back home, commitments, and there is a very strong informal relationship with like supporting local schools, supporting you know organizations that we are tied to that people have done for years. So I think that notion of, of going back is tied to the very idea of why we travel in the same in, in the first place. You know, that this was all something that was often said in my house, you know, is that, you know, people almost send you abroad, right? Like my father uh was the one who traveled abroad but he was he just didn't do that on his own. He was sent forward by an entire community that included his brothers and his sisters and they they supported his travel in a way that he knowing that he would sort of pave the way for others, that he would then bring in others. And I think that's a 
a pattern that's that's common in many families. So that giving back extends to family, but also to the country in general. So, but I think as in you know, as an artist, it's complicated by the fact that there are certain things you might write about that people might not like or want to to read or or have to talk about. And so there's the conflict there of also presenting um, art that's not always flattering to, to the country. So then are you giving back or or do you give back in other ways like in your um you know in your own personal or financial way or contribute in other ways, but there's always that tension whether the art itself is giving back, you know. Well, I really enjoyed this collection, but there were two stories that really stood out to me. Um, one was the gift about a woman whose lover was seriously injured and who lost his wife and young daughter in the earthquake that struck Haiti in 2010, and without inspection about a Haitian immigrant in Miami who's falling to his death and uses that time to recount his life and check in on his new family here. Can you share a little bit about your process in writing those stories and how those stories came to be? Well, um, the gift actually started out um, as a play. I wrote it first as a play and um, because I wanted to write something about the earthquake, but it was too close to the time. And it felt like, um, you know, the reality was so overwhelming that just whatever type of fiction you could write about it just wouldn't um, wouldn't match it, you know, at that point. So I decided to write a play about two people who who were living the aftermath of it. And then soon after, when I've had when I had some distance um, from both the experience of the you know of the earthquake and what it was like for some people in my family, those who had survived and those. Uh, closer to me who who had lost loved ones and once those losses had settled a little bit and we had um, become uh, accustomed to them if you if you ever can um, then I I decided to write that story as more of a story and then to see how people with already underlying issues you know who um, are facing certain problems already how that, you know, how that gets carried over post uh, a massive tragedy like that. So that that really was the um, genesis of the gift. And the other, which I'm sorry, what was the, the the other one you mentioned? The other one was without inspection about the young man who was yes. shot. Yes, um, without inspection was a story that I was. I was trying to write for a very long time. When I first moved to Miami in 2002, um, there were two things that it seemed to me was often in the news. And um, one was about people coming here by boat, arriving on Key Biscayne or on the beach, on some beaches here, sometimes in Key West. But they would arrive, whether from Cuba or from Haiti, and then... um, you know, there was one time actually a boat that arrived from uh, from Haiti uh, at like during the five o'clock news hour, and people watched that all over the country live, like the disembarking and people falling in the water. 
So there was that occurrence. And also um, now and then doing, you know, when there was a lot of construction around Miami, there were the, the people who would fall from these construction sites, you know, and um, and the two things, you know, I wanted to, um, I had written, attempted to write about the falling through a poem called Plunging, and then I had written, you know, about people arriving by boat before, um, but I wanted to write what that was like now in this current moment. And then I went to an immigration forum once, and um, I heard some lawyers talking about entry without inspection. And um, and what that basically means is that if someone arrives, let's say you arrived on the beach, but the immigration service had not come, no one from immigration had come, and you had just walked into life in, in Miami, that meant, or you had never encountered an immigration official when you arrived, so that meant you had entered without inspection. And to me, that sounded like it was as if you weren't here at all. So um, I, I was very intrigued by that notion. And then all those things combined and, and came into the story uh, without inspection. I also wanted to write this kind of love story um, that almost seemed like a mythic story of someone waiting on a shore and rescuing another person. In this case, it was a woman who rescued this man that ultimately um, she ended up not being able to fully save. Well, is there a story in this collection that feels a bit closer to you or one you just particularly like or maybe even enjoyed writing more than the others? Well, I really, you know, uh, of the most recent stories or the last two stories without inspection certainly being one of the most recent ones um, along with Sunrise Sunset which is a story that feels very close to me not because of the actual happenings in the story uh, but because of the mother-daughter relationship it's a story that I started writing around the time that my mother was was sick um, with cancer um, not with dementia as in, in the story um, but I really wanted to write about a mother and daughter on parallel but very different journeys. Um, uh, Seven Stories, which is one of the longer, you know, the, probably the longest story in the book, is a story that I really, really enjoyed writing um, because it was actually before um, supposed to be a novel I was working on, and I had written a lot of it, um, and I realized in part it was getting longer and longer because I just enjoyed hanging around with those people, um, not necessarily because much was happening. Um, and then it just felt like it would have more of a thrust forward, more of a narrative drive if the story uh, were shorter. So certainly Seven Stories is a, a, a story that I really, really liked writing. And, and it's the the last one, really, that I the last story that, like the most recent story, I've I've since written like one other short story that's not in the book um, since the book was published, but it's my most, you know, second to most recent. You really do it all when it comes to writing. You write memoirs, short stories, novels, picture books for the very young, and books for teens. What is it that you love about the short story that keeps you coming back to it? 
think there's an economy to the short story that I really enjoy. I mean, the fact that you can hold the entire thing in your head most of the time. Um, I remember just, I think my love of the short story began really when I first started writing, you know, in, in college, when I would steal away a few moments to write my stories in between everything that I was doing. So for me, that was a sort of a possible means of writing. And it's, and it's something that I've gone back to when I'm short for time, you know, when my children were young. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I, I, I really, I think of writers whose primary um, mode of writing was a short story like Grace Paley or um, Alice Munro. And, um, and I think there's, there's an art to it. You know, there's, there's, it's kind of like, writing a poem, you know, and we're in this kind of uh, economy that forces you really to think about every word, every scene. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm aware because I've spoken to enough book clubs <laughs> that um, for a lot of people that can be unsatisfying, you know, that, you know, that they think, oh, just when I'm getting started, um, the story ends, for example, but uh, there's something about it that I just, that I really enjoy. I enjoy reading short stories and I enjoy writing them. And I, I remember one great definition of it that I, that I heard is that the short story is like a painting and that while you're looking at that image, you know, um, you know that there's something happened before and you know that something happens after, but while you're looking at it, you're still engrossed in, in what you're looking at. And that's, that's really what I hope to capture in short stories. I love long, longer forms, certainly, but there's something about being able to start and knowing that soon you you will finish your story. There's something about that that's appealing, you know, based on where you where where you are in your life. Last year, you wrote a lovely tribute to Toni Morrison and Paul Marshall, which we're going to link to on the website for anyone who wants to read it. When I heard about Miss Morrison's passing, I actually thought of you and remembered a picture of the two of you together where you look very young and you're just sort of beaming in her presence. Can you tell us a little bit about what those two women meant to you? Well, they meant a great deal to me, you know, first as their reader. You know, I I read them both before I even met them. And I was, every time I was in both uh, Ms. Morrison and Ms. Marshall's presence, I was in awe um, because I was carrying, you know, that big torch from having read them. And, and I was always amazed at, you know, the breadth of their intelligence and creativity and ultimately, you know, kindness. Um, so, you know, Toni Morrison certainly, you know, has that, massive um, Irv, uh, Paul Marshall as well. Uh, and they made so much seem possible for, for so many of us. And, um, you know, just in their, in their work and their teaching and the way they, the, you know, they occupied space in the world. So it was a, it was, I mean, we lost so much in, in, in that year, both of them, 
you know, within weeks of, of each other like that was a big blow, you know, for that generation of writers. And um, there, there are a lot of young and exciting writers coming up um, in their wake, and I know who were influenced by them. And, and I count myself certainly among those who are very grateful to have not only read them, but have had my path cross theirs, you know, in this life. Well, Miss Morrison's The Bluest Eye is my favorite book. And for many, many years, I would make make a point of it to read it every year. Do you have a book like that that you would read, um, you know, annually or that you, you know, find yourself returning to again and again? Well, of Miss Morrison's book, Sula is certainly like that book that I that I read, if not every year, but I read probably the most that I've read it, you know, reread any book. And I think part of it is to remind myself, like, how much you can um, put and contain in such a little space. I mean, we think about it, it's a, it's a short book, but it feels like, like, epic, you know, um, and it travels through so many years and generations, and I think it's a master class in, in fiction writing, certainly. I love Song of Solomon. Um, for Paul Marshall, it's certainly Brown Girl, Brownstone, and um, one has the advantage when you're teaching to be able to not just reread the books you love, but to also reread them with others, and um and there's a Haitian novelist, Marie-Vieux Chauvet, um, certainly Amour Couleur Folie, Love, Anger, and Madness, which was translated um, in a modern library edition. That book is incredible. And, um, and Marie-Vieux Chauvet also has a book, Dancing um, on the Volcano, which was recently retranslated by Kayama Glover in a beautiful translation that just reads uh, so gorgeously. So um, those are you know, among the writers that I return to. And, and, you know, there are writers that you feel sad that you've already read the book because you wish, like, you keep wishing that, oh, this was your first read. But if you open the book at any moment, you can find a, a spot you loved. And certainly um, those three are among the top for me. What are you reading right now when we're all being forced to stay at home? Um, well, I am currently reading Julia Alvarez's Afterlife because I'm preparing to have a, a conversation with her. Um, it's going to be my first type of bookstore type event <laughs> on Zoom with Julia Alvarez. So, and Julia was one of those writers that I read very early on in my life and loved also like um, I think I remember reading Julia Alvarez and Jamaica Kincaid at the same time, you know, when I was in college, reading Lucy and how the Garcia girls lost their accents. So I'm really looking forward to um, virtually chat with Julia. So I'm reading Afterlife, which is a beautiful book about grief, certainly. It's about a, a woman who loses her husband and has to start over and then has um, uh, an undocumented uh person show up on her doorstep and that's all I'll give away. Um, Julia had always said that she wanted to write one of those, you know, short but contained books and really has done a wonderful job with that. So 
I'm both excited to in this new space to read her and then to have a you know have a this kind of event with her on the um internet. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Um right now I am working on a collection of essays. It's in a a series by Mango Press about writers' beginnings. So I'm we're in it's a short book. Um and we're in the process of finishing that up now. I might end up adding an essay about the times that we're living in now and sort of reading in the time of um COVID nineteen. Um and then I I'm working on a novel. It's coming very slowly. It's not quite sure what it wants to be just yet, but um I step away from it and walk back to it at any moment that I can. Edwidge Danica, thanks again for jumping on the phone with us. It's just always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, I hope everyone stays safe and um and read some books, love your neighbor and be well. Yes, good advice for everyone. Thank you so much. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how you can win a free copy of Everything Inside. You can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next time for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton, reminding you to read more.